Hello, my rebels. Today, I take you through a document that we got through access to information. It's the propaganda plan that the Canadian Armed Forces has put together for the pandemic. Seriously, they want to do a psyops here in Canada, a psychological operation. I'll take you through it. You can see the whole document for yourself at propagandaplan.com. We put the whole access to information up there, but I'll take you through it. I'll read it to you, but it would be fun if you could see it because I show you actually the words on the document. To get that part of the action, just become a subscriber to Rebel News Plus. It's eight bucks a month, not much, and you get the video version of this podcast, plus weekly shows from Sheila Gunn-Reed and David Menzies. My show, as you know, is every day. So there's a lot of value for eight bucks a, a week. Sorry, eight bucks a month. All right, here's today's podcast. Tonight, terrifying news, we show you the Canadian Armed Forces' 15-page propaganda plan to demonize Trudeau's pandemic critics and strengthen the Liberal Party narrative. It's September 15th, and this is the Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. About a month and a half ago, I saw this story in the Ottawa Citizen. Caught my eye. Canadian Forces Information Operations Pandemic Campaign Quashed After Details Revealed to Top General. Information Operations? Yeah, that's a nice way of saying propaganda. The Canadian Forces planned what some military insiders described as a propaganda campaign aimed at heading off civil disobedience by the public during the coronavirus pandemic. Well, it's not a question of if it's propaganda. This is the definition of propaganda and armed forces propagating political messages to tell the population what to think and do politically. It's part of warfare, I guess, if you're occupying some other country, but obviously, and this is the main point, it's to be used against foreign enemies, not against Canadian citizens who simply disagree with Trudeau's liberals. And this 15-page information battle plan uh, was drafted to go to war against Canadians. Well, we've got a copy of that memo through an access to information request. You can see the entire 15-page document yourself at propagandaplan.com. Like I say, we had to file an access information request to get it. We file hundreds of those a year. We spend tens of thousands of dollars a year in fees to do that. Most of the time, we get nothing of interest in return, but sometimes we get something shocking. This is one of those times. I encourage you to see the primary document for yourself because you'll believe your own eyes. You might not even believe me telling you about it. Go to propagandaplan.com and see for yourself. Now, in the end, the government claims that they did not approve this plan. Of course, it's hard to know with propaganda. Sometimes you can see propaganda. It's not pretending to be hidden. During the Second World War, for example, Japan had English-speaking women go on the radio to taunt American soldiers overseas, telling them that their wives and girlfriends back home were cheating on them, that the Japanese were going to massacre them, that they should just give up. Everyone knew that was propaganda. It still worked, someone at least. But the thing about propaganda is it's not always what they call white propaganda. 
there's gray pop propaganda, and then there's black propaganda, which hides who's doing it and what it is. And so perhaps the story in the Ottawa Citizen, that the Trudeau government nicks the propaganda campaign, I mean, maybe that's a true story. Or perhaps it's a form of propaganda itself, using the Ottawa Citizen to spread propaganda that, no, 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 no. The Liberals would never spy on Canadians. Pay no attention to this 15-page document that was written and reviewed by literally dozens of senior military people. No, 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 no. It's dead. So if anyone ever mentions it or suspects it, you can know. We nixed that idea. Just ask the Ottawa Citizen, which takes $140,000 a week from Justin Trudeau's Liberals. So you know they would never lie to you. That's the thing about engaging in deception. Once you do it, people are never quite sure if you've stopped, even if you say you have. So this entire document that describes in minute detail spying on Canadians, tracking opposition to Trudeau's government, discrediting dissident voices, making sure the national political conversation is in alignment with the liberal narrative. Yeah, guys, they didn't mean it. The campaign of lies and tricks, it's over. They said so. And that's the truth, honest. We're not lying to you about our plan to lie to you. All right, let's go through it. It's full of jargon and acronyms and other bureaucratic BS that shows there are way too many desk jockeys and not enough real soldiers in the Canadian Armed Forces. Too many people sucking up to the politicians. So they come up with this crud. They're just sitting there coming up with kooky plans. I'll just explain three buzzwords really quickly. Operation Lentus is when the Canadian military helps with disaster relief. That's a good thing. Operation Globe is when the Canadian military helps with missions around the world, like recently helping bring home stranded Canadians from that uh, COVID cruise ship, for example. That's a good thing. Operation Laser, now that's where it gets a bit interesting because that was to help with the pandemic. Uh, they helped with some senior centers for a while. They helped in the far north. Okay, fair enough. Thanks, guys. But then someone, some big liberal brain in the army thought, we need to help with Theresa Tam's propaganda. We need some Tokyo Rose action here in Canada to propagandize to our own people because for some reason people think Justin Trudeau and Patty Haidu and especially Theresa Tam are incompetent and have no clue. I mean, this is the woman Trudeau has put in charge of the pandemic. I think the public has to know this is one of the worst case scenarios in terms of an infectious disease outbreak in that their cooperation is sought. If there are people who are non-compliant, there are definitely uh, laws and and public health um, powers that can quarantine people in mandatory settings. It's potential you could track people, put bracelets on their uh, arms, have police and other setups to ensure quarantine is undertaken. Yeah, she needs some help, all right. She needs some propaganda help, all right. But not from the army. That's what they do to foreign countries, that's what they do in military dictatorships. We don't do that in free countries. Well, tell that to the dozens of Canadian Armed Forces staff who worked on this plan. Okay, so now that you know what some of the buzzwords mean, let me read the memo. Threats in Operation Lentis, Operation Globe, and domestic operations overall, the information environment, i.e., can generally be characterized as uncontested. Under Operation Laser, there has been no confirmed targeted adversarial information activities that specifically seek to undermine, weaken, disrupt, or degrade GC, that's Government of Canada, response to the crisis. Okay, now that's not quite true. We all know that the Chinese dictatorship deliberately lied to Canada and the world about the virus, but let's put that aside for now. Get this, this is the crazy part. This is the illegal part. This is the part where Trudeau's military plans 
a propaganda war against the people because the people aren't obedient enough to Trudeau, Haidu, and Tam. Let me read. However, the existence of myths or disinformation in the information environment constitutes what may be characterized as, an, as a contested information environment where unofficial actors and sources of information have and will continue to emerge to compete with the attention, focus, and understanding of Canadians. As in someone other than Trudeau and China's World Health Organization might have a contrary opinion. Yeah, that's called a democracy. That's called a free press. That's called getting a second opinion from a doctor. That's also called none of the military's business. Let me keep reading. Again, you can see this all for yourself at propagandaplan.com. Quote, such efforts are not currently attributable to foreign powers or any malign intent, but their adverse effects must be mitigated nonetheless. Really? Is it the military's job to correct opinions, even opinions they admit are not malign, they're just different opinions? Every soldier who worked on this should be disciplined, sent to a re-education session about civil liberties and the proper role for the military in a democracy. If they don't like it, let them go work for China's army, which is a political army. That's not Canada's army. I'll keep reading. The nature of this pandemic and the measures taken across the globe and in Canada have increased population levels of anxiety, stress, fear, and distrust. A real and perceived loss of freedom and personal and agency from individual Canadians. Yeah, so the, they admit it what the media won't admit. Uh, Trudeau is destroying our civil liberties and our mental health. I mean, it's sort of obvious, but get this. This disempowerment and general context of anxiety will lead to increases in irrational behavior, which may run counter to the overall response effort. Okay, okay what do you mean? What, what's, what's irrational behavior? Teresa Tam says we may have to wear masks when we have sex. That sounds not just irrational, but deeply creepy. Is that the irrational behavior they're worried about? Or is it irrational if we choose to ignore her? Patty Haidu, the health minister, keeps praising communist China, even though we all know they lied. Is that irrational behavior? Is that for the military to decide for us, by the way? Is simply disagreeing with the liberal government, their official narrative about this pandemic, is that a problem that the military thinks they need to fix? Yeah. Quote, the Canadian Armed Forces must support Government of Canada in mitigating this overall perspective of fear and anxiety to promote and enable a rational, fact-based response to this crisis. Whoever wrote that should be court-martialed. Do you trust them? I'm serious. The Canadian Armed Forces must, it must, it absolutely has to support the government's point of view, their narrative, their perspective, and to stop people from thinking irrational. You'd be irrational to disagree with Trudeau. What does that mean? I put it to you that the government has caused the fear and anxiety. The government media has too. I saw some crank on TV this morning saying that the Toronto is seeing a spike of people being admitted to intensive care. But I checked. There are a grand total of five people in intensive care for the virus in the entire city of Toronto. Six million people, 40 hospitals, five are in intensive care. But full fire alarm panic. It's the government that's killing us now, not the virus. But the Canadian military says they must, M-U-S-T, must, 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 support the liberal narrative and stop Canadians from having unhappy thoughts about Trudeau. I love that last part, fact-based. I guess the military is going to tell us what facts to use and what facts not to use now. Yeah, actually, look at, look at the next page here. Countering myths and disinformation. Imagine that. Canadians can't think for themselves. Newspaper editors, bloggers, you on Facebook, whatever. 
We can't think for ourselves. The military has to step in and tell us what to think. Again, that word must is there. Canadian Armed Forces must support Government of Canada, other government departments and agencies, partners and civil authorities in proactively mitigating the effects of mis- and disinformation which exist in the information environment regardless of their provenance or intent. Well, that's where you're wrong. If there was some foreign entity trying to propagandize here, I'd be interested to learn what the military had to say about it. Like, for example, I don't know, crazy idea of, say, Theresa Tan was actually an employee of the World Health Organization, even while she's Canada's chief public health officer, and she was literally getting paid and taking instructions from that China-controlled organization while purporting to give Canadians independent advice. Yeah, I'd be interested to know what the military knows about foreign interference. Oh, by the way, that... That's true, actually, this entire time. She has been working for the China-controlled World Health Organization. Here's her staff biography on their website. So the military must counter dissident or opposition or critical voices regardless of intent. You can be a well-meaning doctor with a different opinion. Um, that's called having a, a second opinion. But the military says you have to be countered. Say, so I wonder if that's what's going on about Dr. Calvinder Corgill, the renowned doctor who's been attacked in the information environment and taken to the College of Physicians and Surgeons on ethics complaints for daring to disagree with Trudeau. Is that a psyops, psychological operation? Well, that's the thing. We wouldn't really know, would we? I mean, they don't tell you when they're tricking you. But look here, CIMIC, that's Civilian Military Cooperation, psyops, and other information-related capabilities will be leveraged in support. Oh, so there will be psyops, psychological operations on Canadians, by our military, in a civil situation, where Trudeau has a minority government, where he's prorogued parliament, where he's banned reporters he doesn't like from press conferences, he's doubled the national debt, now enter the military. Imagine being the little brown noser in the military who thinks this is the time to join the war against democracy. Maybe he thinks it's a quick way to get a fast-track promotion to general by Trudeau. You know, we know that Trudeau punishes soldiers who dare to disagree with him. He falsely accused and falsely prosecuted Vice Admiral Mark Norman for not going along with Trudeau's corrupt procurement plans. Trudeau punishes bureaucrats who disagree with him, but he rewards and promotes his errand boys. And in the case of the head of the RCMP, his errand girl, Brenda Lucky. That's him hugging her last July, right in the middle of the SNC-Lavalin corruption fiasco. He knows she'll never investigate him. Trudeau loves to promote corrupt lieutenants. He fires the honest ones like Jody Wilson-Raybould. Anyways, back to this propaganda plan. Point A, coordinate and synchronize influence activities in support of the overall information effort. <laughs> Imagine thinking that's your job in Canada's army. And look at point D, ensure that all information disseminate activities are developed in alignment with the narratives. Hey, get with the Trudeau program. Get with the Government of Canada narrative or the army will get involved with you. I like this, I have to laugh at the GBA plus, that's the gender-based analysis focus of Trudeau. I'm not even kidding, he forces every soldier and commander to do a gender analysis of the battlefield of everything. I mean, the enemy is focused on killing us, Trudeau makes our soldiers have a gender chat first. You think I'm kidding, I'm not. Um, I wish I was, it's just hilarious to see that in their propaganda plan too, but of course, these guys want the promotion so bad, they'll do his male feminist thing. Look at page seven. Report and escalate all instances of mis- and disinformation directed at the Canadian Armed Forces or mis- and disinformation 
impeding the government of Canada or civil authorities. Hang on, isn't that what, what normal people not in the military just call the opposition? Isn't it the job of the opposition to oppose, to marshal their own facts and their own arguments and contradict the official government narrative? Isn't that actually their job? And isn't it the army's job to protect that half of democracy too? Isn't the army's job to protect the opposition as much as it is to protect the prime minister? Apparently not. Counteract mis- and disinformation in a timely manner following extended protocols primarily using narratives and themes. What would that mean? We'll put it together. They talk about working with government agencies, with civilians to strengthen the narrative, to proactively undermine critics who have a different point of view. What might that look like in real life? Well, I think it would look exactly 100% like this. Anti-mask protest in Montreal draws large crowd propelled by US conspiracy theories. This is a CBC story. Several thousand people gathered Saturday in downtown Montreal to hear speeches from conspiracy theorists and anti-vaccine activists. Is is that really who was there? 6,000 people marched to oppose a violation of civil liberties, they would say. And they were all conspiracy theorists. That's who was marching. You see what I mean by what narrative means? Let me read some more. Hare Krishna's marched alongside... Christian fundamentalists and supporters of U.S. President Donald Trump. Others held signs about the 5G Internet Network or perceived corruption in the United Nations. Got it, eh? You get the narrative? You get working with other government agencies here? These weren't citizens opposing. These weren't civil libertarians. These weren't regular people exercising their freedom. They were kooks. They were cult members, they were crazies, and the craziest of all would be people who think the UN is corrupt. What a weird pack of lies. Imagine claiming that Donald Trump is somehow behind a grassroots protest in French-speaking Montreal. That's the actual conspiracy theory propagated by the government state broadcaster. But was that just the CBC at war with Canadians, or was that the Canadian Armed Forces leveraging a friendly government asset to build up the government's narrative and demonize critics as liars and foreign meddlers. You can't really tell, can you? Look at this on page nine of the propaganda plan. PSYOPs, psychological operations, is not authorized. However, the underlying skill sets of PSYOPs may be leveraged in support of public affairs and other government departments and agencies, collection, planning, analysis, production, design, and dissemination. Oh, so guys, guys, I just want to tell you, no one's allowed to do PSYOPs against Canadian citizens. Okay? Absolutely no PSYOPs. But actually you can if you just don't call it that. Just use all your PSYOPs training and work with other government agencies. Just don't call it PSYOPs. Maybe work with the CBC. On page 10, they even go through a list of what they might need to fully deploy against Canadians. Print production facilities, TV projectors and screens, loudspeakers, to which I say, guys, no need. You already have the CBC and most of the newspapers on the payroll. Just use them. I assume you are. Uh, Look at all the names of all the little generals here. Look at that. All these soldiers proudly planning on how to go to information war against their own citizens. Not a shooting war. No, no. Just a propaganda war to undermine civil liberties in opposition to Trudeau. I mean, we wouldn't want anyone to vote irrationally now, would we? 
They sum it up with some charts. I'm almost through the document, but there's so much here. You really should go to propagandaplan.com to read it all for yourself. Page 11. The goal is to strengthen Canadian public's trust in official sources of information. Why? What does that mean? Says who? What's an official source of information? We can't criticize. We can't have another opinion. And at the bottom there, their job is to identify and report instances of mis- or disinformation against the government of Canada, crisis response overall? Really? That's their, that's their response? Have they, have they been doing that? Wh- who's, on their, who's on their list? Uh, am I on their list? Are you on their Are they skimming Facebook and Twitter? Are, are they doing it themselves? Or just calling up their liberal friends and getting them to hand over the info from Twitter and, and Facebook? What are they doing in this plan? Page 12, it's worth asking because they say they'll engage in, quote, information shaping and providing capture content to give it to the ADM, the assistant deputy minister. Capture content, that, that means spying, right? Page 13 is a harmful information response drill including an analysis plan for fighting tweets. The military is doing battle planning against you on social media, the Canadian military. You are their enemy. They said it was regardless of source or intent. They're practicing their battle on you. Hey, I wrote a whole book on this called China Virus, how Justin Trudeau's pro-communist ideology is putting Canadians in danger. Where do you think he learned all this domestic spying from? I mean, look, they're bored bureaucrats, so they repeat themselves three different ways, but I'll, I'll show it to you again. They say threat includes anything that can damage perception, confidence, or credibility of the Trudeau government. They're clear. They're defending the Liberal Party of Canada and its official narrative during the pandemic. They say it over and over and over again. I think we should believe them. What is this pandemic war plan for? It, it's a propaganda plan. Maybe it's a propaganda plan to help lubricate things, I don't know, like this. In relation to a Facebook post, in relation to a lockdown protest you put on for Saturday. Yeah, and I wasn't breaking any laws by doing that. You are that. actually, you are breaking all. That's why I'm arresting you, in relation to in How can you children, arrest her? In That's... front of my two children. Can't you just say to her, take the post down? Like, come I'm on. I'm happy to delete the post. Yeah. This is ridiculous. Right. Yeah. But I have to give you each caution and right. Do you understand? Yeah, that's You're fine. Not, like, I'm happy to delete the post. This is anything? ridiculous. You like, can I, this say is in front of my... That's fine. Maybe evidence. You understand that? Yeah, that's fine. But my two kids are here. I have an ultrasound in an hour. Like, I'm happy to delete the post. You also have the right to communicate with or to communicate with a legal practitioner. Maybe it's a propaganda plan to help lubricate things like this. Maybe it's a propaganda plan to help lubricate things like this. It was quite peaceful until. I'm the, I'm the media. I've got, I've got my, I've got my permit in my pocket. 
Those were all from Australia, an ally of ours, a free country, part of the Commonwealth, a lot like us in many ways. But then a tyrant in a state called Victoria decided he wanted to go full Beijing dictator against his own people using, in that case, the police. Well, Trudeau's military has been coming up with plans, not plans to physically smash dissidents like in Australia, but plans to go to war against citizens nonetheless, to smash opposition ideas, to denormalize them. What do you think about all this? Do you believe that they have, in fact, called this off, as the Ottawa Citizen says? Or do you think that leaked story in the Ottawa Citizen, what's the word? Do you think that was a psyop? working with a civilian ally. Do you think you're being tracked? Do you doubt you're being tracked? Hey, can you help us out? We spend tens of thousands of dollars a year on access to information requests. Sometimes they come up with nothing. Sometimes they're incredible and dangerous like this one. If you can help us cover those costs, please do at propagandaplan.com. You can see the whole propaganda plan. And if it's valuable to you, you can chip in a few dollars to help us pay for our access to information work. This is Trudeau's Canada. This is your Canada. How do you feel about that? Stay with us for a minute. Well, when I was a little boy and attending Jewish school, the big news when I was the ripe old age of seven was that Israel and Egypt signed a peace treaty, and everyone was quite excited. I remember that even as a child. And Jordan signed a peace treaty, but as the years went by, I could tell it was a cold peace. And of course, the Palestinian issue took center stage, and despite massive attempts at a peace process, there was more process than peace. Israel offered so much, in the end it was rejected by the PLO, and even the peace treaty with Egypt. Well, it wasn't peace for peace. It was peace for Israel giving back the massive Sinai Desert and all of its assets. Which is why I've been a skeptic of Middle East peace, because as Golda Meir said, we won't have peace until Arab leaders love their own children as much as they hate Israel. That was her way of saying it's in their interest to want peace, not war. Well, it finally happened, and I can't even believe it. And 40 years of my thinking has been turned upside down. I saw this tweet, this photograph. Let me read it. The moment Jared Kushner gave His Majesty King Hamad bin Isa bin Salman al-Khalifa of the Kingdom of Bahrain a Torah scroll for a synagogue in Bahrain. And you can see Jared Kushner... Trump's son-in-law and advisor on various things, including the Middle East, giving a Jewish Torah to the king of Bahrain, who not only accepted it, but consented to this photo being published. This is the opposite of the cold peace with Egypt and Jordan, and the false peace with the PLO that's always broken. This was peace for peace, and not just that. A Muslim leader of a Muslim country accepting a symbol of Judaism. It's, it, it's not a grudging piece. This changes everything I've thought. This coming on the heels of Israel's deal with the United Arab Emirates and Oman seems next to go. Perhaps Saudi Arabia itself. I am shocked by these things. 
And I have to say that that photo itself is a proof that this might actually be a warm piece, a true piece. I can't even believe it. I don't want to be naive, but I think it's happening. Joining us now via Skype from Los Angeles is our friend Joel Pollack, senior editor-at-large at Breitbart.com, a great American patriot, but also someone who, like me, cares about Israel. What do you think of that photograph, Joel? Well, it's very interesting. One of the things that Jared Kushner has done in arranging these agreements is to couch them in the shared monotheism of the Christian, Muslim, and Jewish worlds. And that's why they called these peace agreements the Abraham Accords. Bahrain has a small Jewish community. They have a synagogue. And several months ago, there were religious services in the synagogue. They also, about a decade ago, had an ambassador, a diplomat, I believe to the United States, who was a Jewish woman who lived in Bahrain. Now, it's a very small country, and it's not a very sizable Jewish community, but they've shown an openness to the presence of that community before. So that was an interesting exchange. The UAE doesn't have a synagogue yet. They have some kind of religious faith center where I think services can be held. But the idea was to couch this all in a shared religious tradition, even though these three religions have much that divides them. And certainly even within these divisions, you know, you have divisions among Sunni and Shia and so forth. There are many divisions, but the idea was to couch this all in a kind of spirit of cooperation. And I think that was a very effective way, at least of framing these agreements and explaining their significance to the broader world, particularly to Arabs and Muslims in the Middle East and beyond, who might initially be skeptical of normalization with Israel. This does create at least some kind of framework where this becomes understandable beyond the national interests and economic interests of the countries involved. Well, what strikes me as so different here is we know that Israel has always had secret and private communications and even deals with countries. They have common enemies, Iran, for example. They would share intelligence on the down low. But the public messaging for public consumption in the Muslim world, the Arab world, was always hostile, even anti-Semitic. Even in Egypt, they would run a, a massive TV series uh, on the anti-Semitic forgery, um, you know, about Jews poisoning wells or Jews making matzah with the blood of Gentiles, like extreme, extreme protocols of the elders of Zion, anti-Semitism. Like that was standard fare for the Arab street by these dictators. This looks warm. I see on Twitter Muslim religious leaders in the UAE fighting against people who would try and come between them and Israel and saying, you, I would stand with a Jew before I stand with you. Like, it's, it's so, I mean, I, it may be political, but it's so public and they're embracing it for good and for bad. This is something I have never seen in my entire life. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, first of all, there's a very strong interest in the UAE and developing ties with Israel uh, and, and vice versa. Israel is a technology hub, it's a financial hub, it's a center of innovation, and, and it's a center of investment. So for the UAE to gain access to Tel Aviv really means gaining, uh, means gaining access to the West in a broader sense. Dubai has always been, or not always, I should say for the last 10 to 20 years, has been a commercial center 
and has developed its own economy separate from the energy industry, which has been very important. But they really want to partner and cooperate with Israel in a deeper sense. And they understand that working with Israel is a bridge to the West in Silicon Valley, uh, the West in Wall Street. These are avenues that were to some degree open, but not fully open. Uh, for Israel, it's gaining a whole new set of partners through Dubai, not just in the Middle East, but keeping in mind that Dubai is a place where a lot of African companies and workers go to invest, to do business, to shop. Uh, likewise with Asia, Israel now can fly, Israelis can now fly directly through Dubai when they want to go to Thailand, when they want to go backpacking in Kathmandu or whatever it is. But Israel now has a more direct connection to the Far East. So this is really an incredible partnership. And I think we'll see it develop over the next 10 years, this Tel Aviv-Dubai partnership. It's, it's technically a, a Jerusalem-Abu Dhabi partnership. And when I was on Al Jazeera earlier today, that's how they refer to it. They refer to it as Tel Aviv-Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi being the capital of the UAE and Tel Aviv being the only capital they'll recognize in Israel at the moment. But it really is a Tel Aviv-Dubai partnership. It's, it's the economy of Tel Aviv and the economy of Dubai that are going to create this massive prosperity that the entire region and the world really are, are going to benefit from. And so I think that there's a forward-thinking leadership that's been quiet for a long time in the Muslim world, but is responding to calls like uh, President Sisi in Egypt, who, who gave a speech in the uh, Al-Azhar Mosque a few years ago, calling on Muslims to turn against radicalism and saying that terrorism was anti-Islamic and, and saying it from, I believe, the oldest, one of the oldest existing mosques in the Islamic world. And there is and has been this undercurrent of different thinking that's been overshadowed by Al-Qaeda, overshadowed by ISIS, overshadowed by Iran. And now suddenly the forces for progress in the non-political sense, just the general sense of, of development and prosperity. I mean, they're, they're having a moment in the sun and maybe it can be extended indefinitely if it, if it works out. Hey, let me read you a couple of tweets from Andrew Neal, uh, who I regard as the leading journalist in the United Kingdom. He's a great Scot and uh, he's the publisher of The Spectator. He said something that I hadn't heard of before. I didn't think of it before because I'm coming from my point of view a Canadian, a Westerner, a conservative, a Jew, etc. But listen to what he said about how Muslims are embracing this. I, this, I, I had never heard this before. Uh, here's what Andrew Neal said. He said, an Abu Dhabi's official national newspaper, so he's quoting from their paper, the UAE-Israel Accord is a win for every Muslim. Get this. Since 9-11, Muslims across the world have been on the defensive I saw the suspicion of Muslims in the eyes of American officials. It always boiled down to, show us peace in Islam. Now, with visionary accord between UAE and Israel, a new horizon is opening up to reinstate Muslim dignity by showing peace between peoples. We can now say a new way of coexistence is achievable. We are not pawns for the mullahs of Iran or the Muslim Brotherhood. So it's about Muslims saying, you said you wanted peace. We've made peace. Don't look at us as the enemy now. Accept us as you would accept Italians or the Spanish or the Germans. We are part of this world, this Abrahamic community. I never looked at it that way, but it is so true. And I do look at Muslims and Arabs in the UAE and Bahrain and Oman differently now. I truly do. You can't pose with Jared Kushner taking a Jewish Torah for a synagogue 
without making people say, you know what, this guy might actually believe in peace. I'm, I'm touched by it. Yeah, I think that feeling is, is going to be quite widespread. And I think that that's the end of the bargain that the West has to fulfill, that Israel has to fulfill, the United States has to fulfill. This ought to change perceptions of the Muslim world, provided it continues, provided it can keep rolling on, because it's obviously still a work in progress. And the one holdout, of course, is the Palestinian Authority. They condemned these peace agreements and uh, so did Iran. And, and there are still elements in the Muslim world, of course, that are rejecting this kind of move. But you're right. It, it does change your perspective, I think, of the Islamic world if you understand there isn't some lingering hatred that it's harboring for some part of the West or for all of the West, but even for just some part of the West like, like Israel. As long as that issue remains, it's very hard to develop a full and authentic kind of understanding. But once you see these leaders embracing one another and looking toward the future, I do think everything is possible. And it's very exciting. And it's also, again, I, I tried to explain this in Al Jazeera today, but in 2002, right after 9-11, there was a UN report that came out. And normally UN reports are pretty useless, but this one actually caused some pretty important changes. And it was a review of development in the Arab world. And it was absolutely damning. It was absolutely excoriating about poverty and inequality and poor education and underdevelopment. And it was taken up by Arab intellectuals. And they weren't trying to write it off as the product of Islamophobia or prejudice. They felt it was an authentic indictment of their failure as a civilization, really, to bring the Arab world, to bring their countrymen, countrywomen into the 21st century. And what you're seeing now may be the result of a generation that has come of age in the shadow of that report, where they have decided, at least in some of the countries, to move beyond the energy industry, to move toward developing a middle class, to, to move toward education. And the obvious leapfrog way to get there is to partner with Israel, because Israel has experience in building a country literally out of nothing. And it operates in the region. It's, it's part of the West, but it has a cultural competence in the Middle East. 20% of Israelis are Arabs, and many Jews in Israel speak Arabic and come originally from Muslim countries. So there's a natural nexus, a kind of synergy there, if I can use that buzzword. And so I think you are going to see things develop by leaps and bounds in the Arab world, because there's such a huge interest now on both sides. And it's, it's represented by these two commercial capitals, by Tel Aviv and Dubai. And I can tell you just, you know, from personal experience, I know many people who until now would not have flown Emirates, even if it's a great airline and it's cheaper than the others on whatever route you want to fly. People did not want to subsidize Emirates because they had a policy of excluding Israelis from their country. There were some chess tournaments and tennis tournaments where Israeli competitors were not allowed into the country. All that began to change a few years ago during the Trump administration. And now you have commercial flights being booked between Tel Aviv and Dubai, and it's it's opened up a world. Maybe it's just a few people who felt that way who would have avoided Emirates, but it, there's a stigma that's going to fade around the countries that come on board with this peace deal. And so I think you, you may see a rush of other countries to get involved. I saw in Al Jazeera today, uh, Qatar is not going to get involved. Remember, they funded the Muslim Brotherhood for many years. They also contribute to Hamas. 
So they may not be on board, but Oman is thought to be coming on board. Saudi Arabia may eventually come on board. And then what's also interesting is Iran is the obstacle to peace in the region. It's the destabilizing force. But the choice is now being presented to the Iranian people in a very real way. Do you want to be part of this or do you want to oppose this? And the constituency for peace is going to grow exponentially as the benefits of this deal come forward. So what Trump has done, which is interesting, is say very emphatically to the Iranian people, I don't actually care about regime change, which you know shocks the foreign policy establishment on the right in the United States because conservatives have assumed you can only make progress in Iran if you get rid of the regime. Trump says, I'm indifferent to your regime. I just don't want you to be fighting everybody. I'm ready to make a deal with you after the election. And this is the result. I think it's possible that that yields something. Who knows? But this is a very, very good day, a huge achievement for the Trump administration, one even that Democrats have had to acknowledge. I did a story earlier today about how Chaim Saban, who's the Democrat mega donor, close ally of Hillary Clinton, he just gave four and a half million dollars or, or raised four and a half million dollars for Joe Biden yesterday. Hmm. And today he was on the White House lawn celebrating Trump's peace deal. So it, it tells you how real this is. And it also tells you something about Trump's success heading into this election. With a foreign policy success like that, the case for reelecting Trump becomes a lot stronger. Yeah. Well, let me remind our viewers, we've mentioned this before, but it's an absolute must read. You have 48 days till the election, folks. The book is called Red November. Will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? That's Joel's book on the striking choice that Americans have that will affect every single one of us. I mean, it'll affect us here in Canada, but imagine uh, the future in the Middle East with or without Trump. The, the two alternatives could not be uh, more stark. Last word, uh, Joel, you've been very generous with your time. Um, if this had been done under Bill Clinton or Barack Obama, it would be all we would be reading about. It, there would be, I mean, the Nobel Prize, they would give him the Nobel Prize for chemistry, economics, physics, and, and math, too. <laughs> I mean, they would give him every Nobel, they would give him every prize because it's such a, yeah. impo I mean, I myself, and I'm the biggest skeptic, I was skeptical of Trump even on this. I mean, I like Trump, but I thought there's no way he can fix this 1,400-year feud but he's doing it, but the media is throwing it down the memory hole as much as possible. Nancy Pelosi said, oh, it's a distraction. Nice distraction, she actually said the other day. Um, do Americans, no, do Americans care? Well, I think Americans do care. And the reason Americans care is that this comes during a week when there are peace negotiations between the Taliban and the government of Afghanistan in Doha. And remember, these these negotiations were called off six months ago after there was an attack that killed Americans in Kabul. And Trump angrily, if you remember, withdrew from the negotiations and said, we are not negotiating under fire. And it looks like the Taliban got the message. So if that agreement goes through, that's going to allow Trump to withdraw U.S. troops from Afghanistan. So Americans aren't particularly interested in the Middle East. They're really uninterested in sending troops to the Middle East. But if you combine troop withdrawals with diplomatic advances, that's something that people like a lot. You couple that with the successful war against ISIS, the killing last year, almost a year ago, of Baghdadi, al-Baghdadi, who's the uh, so-called caliph of the Islamic State. You combine that military progress with this diplomatic progress, plus the withdrawal, 
that is something Americans care about. It's it's basically the fulfillment of a promise that Trump made in 2015, 2016, not to get into what he called, quote unquote, stupid wars, but also to knock out the terrorists and to try for what he called the deal of the century. There's still some way to go before that final deal is achieved, but this is certainly a necessary precondition, getting Arab states to create the environment for peace by recognizing Israel and offering normalization. And I think this is a sign, hopefully, of things to come. Yeah. If Hillary Clinton had won in 2016, it is an absolute certainty there would be many more wars now. I think the generals know that. Some of them wish there were some wars. I think that's why some of them are sandbagging him. Joel, I could talk to you for hours, but I know you have other things to do. Congratulations on going right into the heart of the lion's den, going on Al Jazeera to make the case. I'll have to tune in on that. Thanks for joining us, too. Thank you. All right, there you have it, Joel Pollack, senior editor-at-large at Breitbart.com. And I say again, he's the author of Red November. Will the country vote red for Trump or red for socialism? We'll find out soon. Stay with us. More ahead. Hey, welcome back on my monologue on the Netflix movie Cuties. Billy writes... Canadians aren't surprised by the cuties perversions. After all, our tax-funded CBC has been promoted dirty dancing preteen drag kids for some time now. Oh, you're so right. I've shown you before that CBC channel called CBC News Kids. It's child actors reading hardcore left-wing news written by grown-ups who were never shown. So it's really weird. Their subject choice is almost always marijuana use or extremely early sexuality. It really feels like some political grooming site paid for by the government on the CBC. You'd think the company that employed Gian Gameshi for so many years would learn better, but no. When he writes, audience reviews rated cuties 11% up from 3% on Rotten Tomatoes. 89% of viewers must have been right-wing extremists, go figure. Yeah, this isn't a right-wing or left-wing thing. I tried to show you yesterday that there were some liberals, Nancy Pelosi's, daughter, uh, Tulsi Gabbard, who were saying, what are you doing exploiting, exploiting young girls like this? This was not a documentary. They hired, they had casting calls for girls to be in this child porn. Gurr writes, movies like this try to portray pedophile behavior as normal. It's heartening to see the outrage. I hope this issue will help to bring more people into the conservative sphere. Well, maybe. Um, Netflix is so huge. Disney is so huge, YouTube is so huge, Facebook, Twitter, that how do you fight against them? It's like fighting against the air, fighting against the land. They are so huge. They're as big as countries. They're bigger than some countries. I don't know how you can even fight against them. I don't know. Well, we try our little best here, here at our little island, the Rebel News. We're not as big as Netflix. We're one one thousandth as big as them, but we do our best. Thanks for being part of that. Until tomorrow. On behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night and keep fighting for freedom.